Happy Monday! We are officially starting Season 2 of the Young Republicans of Oregon podcast. Today, I talked to Grace Carney. She is from Cuba and describes the evils of socialism under Fidel Castro. Why don't you just um, start by telling me your story? Like, how did you become a victim of socialism? Okay. Well, um, I was born in Cuba. My family escaped um, communism in 1967. We came to the United States as Cuban refugees. Uh, my father was a political prisoner. Uh, he was incarcerated in 1964. He was a naval officer for the Batista government. And in 1964, um, he was attempting a coup against Castro. Um, obviously, it did not work. Um, he and um, 12 other comrades um, were planning uh, to overthrow Castro. Um, one of them got caught and um, told uh, about the other 12. Um, my father served from 1964 to 1979, so he was incarcerated for 15 years. He was actually quite lucky in that, um, sadly, the other 12 men that he was with uh, were assassinated. They all received a 30-year sentence, and uh, it was well known with uh, in the Cuban um, community that if you were incarcerated and you received a sentence of over 20 years, that you were probably going to be killed. Um, not that you couldn't be killed for other reasons, because many, many men and women and children, but mostly men, disappeared overnight and never came back to their families in communism. So that's how I got to the United States. My mom realized, my family realized that we were not communists. We were not going to be communists. We did not align with their views and uh, we needed to leave the country. One of the only good things that Castro did do for its people was allow um, Cubans to leave the country if they were not going to um aligned with um, his policies. And the United States was kind enough to open its doors to Cuban refugees. And so there was a thing called the Flights to Freedom, and you had to apply for it, and you had to come get your passports, and it was a lottery system. Uh, and um, if you were lucky enough to fit all the criteria, criteria, um, then uh, you might get a chance to come to the United States. We were um, we had such luck. Our family, all of our family on both sides, on my dad's side and my mom's side, eventually we were all able to leave Cuba and, and we all came here as Cuban refugees. Um, so that's the beginning of my story. And, and how, how old were you when you came over? I was nine years old. So mm -hmm. I remember just about everything. Um, I was a very aware child, um, and although it is normally uh, in the Cuban culture to not tell children uh, most things, I, however, always um, had my radar up, and I knew just about everything that I shouldn't have known. So mm -hmm. I do remember quite a bit. Yeah, and so what was it like, like um, living under communism? Okay, so imagine uh being in fear at all times of anything that you say or anything that you do 
because you are being watched at all times in every block of every street there is a house at least one house that's designated to watch over kind of like mrs kravitz in bewitched in the 1970s one person that keeps watch over the entire um, block who goes in and out of which house what activities are happening and it is their job to report back to the government what they see if they see anything that's inappropriate um imagine not having the free and go as as you please because really you're scared um to leave your house and then also imagine leaving your house and um, knowing that somebody is taking note of what is happening. But let's say you're going to the grocery store. Imagine going to the grocery store. And if you can think of at the beginning of this pandemic, when there was no toilet paper in, uh, in the stores and the shelves were literally empty, or you went to the soup section of your grocery store and there was one or two cans of soup left over, well, that is what it's like to go shopping in a Cuban store. There is never, ever, hardly any food or selection there. You are rationed um, and you are given a, a small book that tells you what you can buy, when you can buy it. And if you're lucky to get to the store and it's still available, then, then you're lucky enough um, to get it. For instance, uh, a family of four, may be allowed one gallon of milk um, per uh, month. Uh, so many pounds of beef or, or, or meat, which is uh, a small ration, rice, coffee, everything is rationed uh, in Cuba. So there is no freedom to eat what you want to eat, when you want to eat it. And if you're lucky enough to be able to get it, then, um, then you're lucky enough to be able to have it. That is every day in Cuba. Wow. And so, um, but like the people in power, they get whatever they want, right? Uh, yes, they do. Uh, people in power um, have access to many things that the normal community um, does not have. Um, they have access to different stores. Um, they have access to different medical they have access to just about everything. So it is true that if you are sick in Cuba, that you do not have to pay to go to the doctor or go to the hospital. However, the quality of care that you get is not the same as those that are in power. Uh, and over the years, the quality of care has and, and um, the cleanliness and the ab ability for um Oh, uh, technical things have dim has diminished greatly um, in in Cuba, but nonetheless, you don't get the quality of care that you do get in the United States. Um, in in Cuba, you never have, and you never will until um, communism falls. And it has not gotten any better in sixty years. It has gotten even worse. Yeah. Do you have any stories about like the quality of care when you? Do you go to the doctor? Uh, well, you basically um, you basically can go to a doctor just like you do here. If if you are sick or um, or if you have um, need of any care, however, you do not have the ability to the medicines like you do here, 
or um, because again, everything's rationed, everything's watched, and uh, and the public is kept under a very tight, uh, very tight restrictions. So um, we were lucky as a family that we never had any problems. But I heard of others, um, you know, within our uh, family that were able. They were sick and weren't able to get the care that they that they really needed. So you basically are just sent home, uh, and um, and you kind of have to take care of yourself if they don't have what you what medicines or whatever it is that your ailment needs at the time because everything's rationed. Everything is rationed in in Cuba. So um, we were also lucky enough that none of our families ever had to go to the hospital for anything major. So I don't. I don't have any personal stories to tell there, but you hear the horror stories from everyone else. You know, people that um, had cancer or people that had um, uh, kidney uh, problems or, um, well, any any major ailment. Uh, it was pretty much uh, Russian roulette, whether you were going to get the care that you needed or not. And then the cleanliness and the quality of the hospitals in Cuba uh, over the years, every year, it just declined and declined and declined. And I don't know if you've ever seen pictures, but there are pictures out there of um, almost absolute filth in some in some hospitals, mostly outside of Havana, um, as you're going towards the countryside. Um, but still, um, it just it's not what it is here. Yeah, why? Is everything rationed and the, like, elite get what they want? Um, because of control. How, 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 do you control um, how do you control the masses? How do you control the people? You control the people by allowing them or not allowing them to do things. Um, it, it's kind of scary right now because this pandemic thing kind of reminds me of, you know, some of the things that happen. How were happening and, and, and are still happening in Cuba. You know, we are being controlled um, by the simple wearing of the mask with COVID. Uh, it brings back memories of what you can do and what you can't do uh, because you're constantly being watched uh, in Cuba. Here, everybody's watching you. If you don't wear that mask, you're not allowed into the grocery store. You're not allowed, you know, in, in, into um, the hospitals. You're not allowed to go into a restaurant without your mask on, right? It's now, and here it's not just one person watching you for your block, everybody's watching everybody else. And people are taking to social media and to next door and they're um, literally uh, ratting out their, their, their community. Um, at such and such store at Subway, I saw you know four teenagers come in without their mask on and they were actually served. And uh, this was on next door a few months ago, the, uh, posted by a man who was there with his daughter. And he said he was just outraged that, the, um, that they were served. And he went up to um, the person um, that was there serving. And she said, our, our um, owner doesn't um, uh, require everyone to wear a mask. And he put this on social media at such and such subway, you know, do not patronize this place because, um, you know, this happened. And, and that, that happens in, in, in communist uh, communities all of the time. 
people are being watched and people are being um, ratted out. And then the rationing, uh, think about the toilet paper, you know, the panic and the, and, uh, <laughs> the uh, absolute craziness that happened when everybody was trying to go to the stores to find their toilet paper and you just couldn't. And now Portland is talking about um, turning off the lights at, at night. Uh, well, in a communist thing in Cuba, uh, a communist society in Cuba, they turn off the lights at 10 o'clock. It goes dark. No one has any electricity. They also turn off the water. So um, about 930, everyone's rash, uh, crazy going towards um, uh, a water source and then filling up pans. People fill up their bathtubs. So if by chance they need water in the middle of the night until I think it's like seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, when they turn it back on, um, that you have that water source because you open up your faucets and nothing comes out at 10 o'clock from 10 o'clock to seven o'clock in the morning. That's a communist um, society. Wow. It's about control. And then, I, like I said, imagine going to the grocery stores and here you go to a grocery store and you can find just about anything you need. Um, they even ask you, did you find everything that you needed at, you know, at the checkout counter? Well, imagine those empty shelves every single day in, in Cuba and then your choices being rationed to you. Um, it, it, that's just a part of life. And the long lines, uh, hours and hours and hours being in line to um, be able to get your, your foods. Um, and the rationing also happens in days. So you can't just go to the grocery store on Tuesday and say, I want my one pound of um uh, beef, you go to the store when they tell you to go to the store. So if your turn is Wednesday, but you, um, for whatever reason, needed something on Tuesday, if it if it isn't your store, your turn, you cannot go to the store at that time. And then when you do stand in line for hours and hours and hours, and I do mean hours and hours and hours, and in Cuba, you're standing in the hot heat and the sun, uh, you may get to, um, the store and they're out of whatever it was that you were destined or uh, to have that particular day because the rations right ran out. This happens every single day in Cuba. Wow. And so, but Bernie Sanders says that it's democratic socialism. So um, it'll be different than these other countries that have socialism. What do you think about that? And is there a difference? Uh, absolutely. To that, I say, so did Fidel Castro. Fidel Castro promised hope and change uh, to the Cuban people in 1959. Uh, he said he wasn't a, a communist. For Pete's sake, he was a Catholic, is what he told uh, the, the Cuban people. He came in with all these promises. He was young. He was charismatic. He was enthusiastic. He had all this energy. Batista was, um, at the time, the dictator. And Batista was not a very good dicta dictator. He was actually um, just as horrid <laughs> as Castro was when it came to uh, oppressing its people. But it was a democratic socialism country. It was a, um, There was capitalism. And you were able to... Um, to gain some kind of wealth or uh, prominence if you worked hard enough uh, in Cuba. The only bad thing about that at those times, and it was pretty much 
close to here in the United States is that people of color were very much, um, um, I would, yeah, I'm, I'm going to use the word oppressed. Um, they didn't have the same um, opportunities as most whites in, in Cuba. It was traditionally a service-oriented um, people, and they worked uh, as maids, as butlers, as um, chauffeurs, um, and uh, in most service-oriented things that you can think of is um, how the Black community uh, was really um, oppressed um, in Cuba. And there was also the social classes. And there were many, many wealthy, a good, strong, middle-class society, which is where my family fell. My family fell in the middle-class to upper-middle-class um, uh, people of Cuba. And then there was also a very, very poor, very poor um, society uh, in Cuba. And uh, Fidel Castro came in promising um, hope and change to everyone and that things were going to be different, that everyone was going to be equal. Well, he didn't exactly let everyone know that the equal was equally poor, not equally wealthy. And that's socialism. Yeah. So how do you feel when you see young people today saying that we need socialism, socialism is the solution? What do you think about that? Well, um, I, I try to let them know that they're misinformed, um, that they're being fed a bill of goods, like every socialistic country uh, has been fed a bill of goods. Um, socialism has failed in most countries where it's been, and as well as communism um, has failed in most countries. There's a very small portion of countries where socialism, is, as of today, is um, almost as good as um, as the freedoms and democracy that we have in our in our country. But most countries that has that have um, had socialistic governments have failed. Uh, or they're in poverty, or um, they're, um, they don't have the same abilities as the United States. That's usually where I try to go with it. And I know that it sounds good on paper, but it does not pan out the same way. Yeah, and so you mentioned some, like, socialist countries that do work. Um, are you talking about, like, I think Sweden? or That's the first that comes to mind. Um, because they do have, for the most part, a very strong economy, and uh, and the people <clears throat> uh, seem to have a, a happy lifestyle in Sweden. But it's also a very small country, um, so it's a lot harder to turn a big ship like the United States uh, than it is a small little boat. So um, yes, uh, Sweden has been able to be successful because it allows the people some of the freedoms that um, that you find in a democratic society, um, unlike Cuba <clears throat> um, or Venezuela, where it oppressed most people. But oppression is about control, and that is really the only way you can control most people in a communist society is through oppression. Yeah. And then you get to a point where that is your way of life, right? You get used to living in a certain way. We've gotten used to putting those masks on. We've gotten used to being told in a certain um, amount of 
um, restriction what we can and what we can't do in the United States. And we're all happily going along with it because we're thinking we are saving, you know, our fellow man. We are keeping people from getting sick. Um, I don't see it that way. I see it as someone trying to control me, trying to control what I what I do and when I do it. And I and most most, if not everyone in this country has just given up to it. And that's how communism and socialism starts. They don't wham, take everything away from you at the very, very beginning. They slowly take your rights away. And then almost to a point where you barely notice it and you easily go along with it because you have to, because if you don't go along with it, you don't get fed <laughs> and um, you don't have a job. And, and it's true that you also have very low uh, rents and very uh, what they call mortgages. It's not really a mortgage. You don't really own your home. Um, the um, uh, government owns your home um, and they can easily take it away from you at, at any point that they, that they like because it's not your property. You're basically leasing um, the place that, that you eat, that you that you live. Yeah, but I mean, it's low cost, right? It's it's free health care, free college. So that sounds good. Uh, it does sound good. And, and yes, it is uh, low cost, but it is low cost because it is extremely low wages. So you cannot uh, charge a people the um, a, a, an astronomical and in my in, in my opinion, a lot of the colleges and a lot of the education in this country is astronomically priced, but you get what you pay for and you are able to pay for it if you choose to go to those universities and you, use, you choose to go to those places because you can afford to do so. Um, imagine uh, someone who's earning $12 a month um, being going to a university that is uh, $35,000 a year. Uh, it doesn't pan out. <laughs> so no, it is free. It is low because they pay you nothing because your income is nearly nothing. So it has to be. Yeah. And does socialism turn into communism? The argument is like, well, we don't want communism. We just want socialism. But it sounds like socialism and communism are intertwined. Uh in my opinion, yes, they are intertwined. In and if you take Cuba, for instance, uh, Castro came in promising socialism, not communism. He said he was not a communist, and but uh, Cuba is a communist country. So it, there is a very fine line be between the two. They are, um, they are, they are intertwined. Um, socialism has a bit more of a capitalism um, aspect to it, and communism um, has none. Um, so, but one turns into the other or can turn into the other. Um, they have total control in socialism and in communism. They have total control of the people. You have really no personal freedom. Yeah. And so this message that socialism is the solution, how can we change young people's minds? Because Bernie Sanders is the most popular candidate with my generation, the 20 something year olds. And it doesn't seem to be, facts don't seem to be changing people's minds. 
Well, I don't think I don't think history is being taught correctly in the schools. I think there's a very liberal agenda in colleges, and in people of your age are not being properly um, told what history is all about. They think of Cuba <clears throat> as you know they wear the the Shea T-shirts and they have the Shea posters, and they think of him as a hero. He was a horrific man. He killed murdered, assassinated thousands and thousands of people. Blacks and gays were his number one target. Um, and yet you see young people wearing Shay. And then on, on the same breath, they're talking about Black Lives Matter. And they're talking about, you know, um, gays, uh, equal uh, e um, equality and, and suppression of rights to those groups. Well, communism suppresses rights to every group. Um, so I think we need to start with education uh, in the schools and, and uh, educating by teaching history, true history. So many things nowadays, sadly, so many things nowadays are being made up. And if you tell, if you give misinformation, if you tell a lie, if it's an untruth, they simply say, well, um, you know, this is the new truth. And they give you something new to go about, or they might apologize, but they don't really correct it. And by the time those untruths or misinformations are out there and thousands upon thousands of people have heard that, not the same thousands upon thousands of people hear the correction. So um, education is, is number one. And doing things like what you're doing, uh, seeking out people who've had personal experiences who can tell the truth from uh, from their personal perspective. You know, it's not made up. I actually lived this. We had to escape. Um, so getting back to um, how we came to the United States, it was um, June, uh, I believe it was June 4th um, in 1963, when we, in the middle of the night, had this horrific banging on our door. Um, I was six years old. And... Um, Military, the military came to my home, uh, banging him uh, on the door, came actually uh, demanding that we open the door, woke the entire family up. Um, they came through full uniform, uh, full militia, um, uh, rifles out. Um, I was a small child, so I remember this perspective from green legs and black boots, and then looking up at these horrific, huge men with big guns in their hands, demanding that we all stand still with our hands up and um, not to move and not to say anything and just barking orders at my father. Um, and then they ransacked our home, uh, opening every drawer, every closet, turning over the beds. Um, if you can imagine, uh, a movie scene that that where you know a burglar comes in and does that kind of thing um so they ransacked our home and then they took my father away at six o'clock in the morning and i never really well he never came home he my father never came home um he was incarcerated we were able to see him because they, he did have visitation rights um every once in a while but my father never came home again wow so, but um, he was able to come with you to the United States. No, he was still in, no. he was still, he was still incarcerated. He was still a political prisoner. 
We came to the United States in 1967. In 1979, Jimmy Carter um, tried to um, make better relations with Cuba, and he made a deal with Castro to release political prisoners. Um, I don't remember the exact number, but uh, again, it was a lottery system and um, kind of sort of, I, I believe, because my father's name was put on a list and he, we were lucky. He was lucky that he was one of the, the first prisoners to come out of, of Cuba. So that's when my father was allowed to come to the United States and his mom and dad were already in Miami. And um, the rest of us were here in Portland, Oregon. So my my parents um, were, excuse me, my parents were divorced at this time. <clears throat> and um, he came to Miami to and stayed in Miami with his mom and dad. Um, he had remarried and had a one-year son, uh, one-year-old son when he came to the United States. So, no, we were here all alone from 1964 uh, well, all the way through, because um, my father, as I said, because of his uh, capture and imprisonment, my father never came home. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But a good, mm -hmm. a good lesson to take from all of this, because I don't want to sound like I'm bitter or I don't want to sound like, you know, um, all of this happened to us and, you know, we're owed this. Um, we, we Cubans are incred incredibly proud people. And... Uh, I don't see what I see what happened as something horrible to our family, and that yes, that that we were taken away rights, and, and and my father was taken away from us. But through all of that, you persevere, and coming to the United States and being able to come to a country that opened their arms to the Cuban people and said, "You have a place here, and you have a chance to grow, and you have a chance to become anything you want to become," because that's what America is all about. Was quite a blessing. I wouldn't be the woman that I am today. I wouldn't have the family that I do today. I wouldn't have the pride that I, in my heart that I that I that I do today, and the love for this country. If none of those incidents had happened, but they happened because we came to a free country that expressed um, that quality of life um, and the ability to give that to anyone within its borders. But we came here illegally. We did not come here illegally. My mom had to go through lots of trials and tribulations in order to make money to get the passports, which at the time was $400. Uh, and if you imagine you're making $12 uh, a month, uh, $400 for passports was a lot of money. And you don't have the freedom to just say, well, I'm going to work three or four jobs or I'm going to, you know, this to make more money. So she literally, um, through family, had to piece together the money. And then she also <clears throat> started sewing um, handbags at a jute. And she would um, black market contraband these um, um, <clears throat> um, handbags and sell them to women at the beauty shop. Um, when she went, went to the grocery store, she'd have two or three of them in her arm, like uh, one behind the other. And then um, people would ask her about them and then she would quietly sell them. And eventually she got to the $400 so um, we could come to the country. Then we had to put ourselves on a list. We had to get onto that lottery. And we were lucky enough that we were granted permission to come to the United States. Uh, all of this took four years.
from wow. 1963 to 1964. It's 1967. So this country affords the opportunity to many people. Uh, it is one of the greatest countries. It is made up of many immigrants. Uh, but you have to be a legal immigrant, not an illegal. It's um, every time someone comes in without uh, legal um presentation they're taking something away from someone else yeah how did you end up in portland oregon well <clears throat> once again through the graces of this country there's many opportunities uh religion is one of the the things that that is uh foremost in my mind of being taken away and communism which we have that ability in the united states through catholic charities um we came to Portland. My mom realized in 1967, um, as she was trying to find work um, in Miami, that it was a very competitive market. It was flooded with Cubans trying to find work, and it was not that big of a city at the time. So she realized that, first of all, she was going to have a hard time learning the language because in Miami, everybody, everyone spoke Spanish. Um, you would go to a store and it would actually have a little sign that would say, we speak English <laughs> instead of we speak Spanish, you know, in Miami. So she knew she was going to have a hard time learning the language and she wanted to learn the language. She was in the United States of America. The job market was very competitive. Wages were very low. So through Catholic charities, uh, we uh, were um, afforded the ability to come to to Portland and um, part of the um, the flight fare was paid by my mom and part of it was paid by the church they rented us a small home in in Selwood uh, um, small very um, graciously um, furnished uh, um, in, in Selwood and uh, we came and a Catholic family met us at the airport, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Pereira. We had never met them before. It was 1969. So if you can imagine, there were no cell phones. There were no computers. There was no fax. There was no FaceTime. Um, this was uh, someone that my mom had corresponded with back and forth. And uh, even uh, telephone calls, long distance telephone calls were extremely expensive. So um, through correspondence, we met this family, we exchanged pictures, they knew who to expect, we knew who to look for, and we came to Portland. Um, my mom was a very brave woman. Um, we had only been in the country for two years. She barely knew any English. We barely knew any English because everyone in, in Miami spoke Spanish. Um, so, but she knew the opportunities were here. So through the freedom of religion, another wonderful thing that social, that we have in this country through, in, in, in our freedoms, that socialism and communism does not afford you. We were able to come to Portland. Wow. So that's all the questions I have. Is there any other things you want to talk about? Well, yes. And in, in talking, in talking about freedoms and, and some of the things that, that we have here in the United States, um, in some of the things that immediately happen uh, as far as control and taking rights away from people in socialism and communism is um, they take away your freedom of speech. Um, you cannot freely talk whatever and say whatever you want to say, because if you say anything against the government, um, you can be um, put in jail. Um, so freedom of speech is limited uh, or totally controlled and taken away. Uh, 
religion is taken away. Um, they do not want you, especially if you're a Christian, they do not want you to have religion because that's another source that you, that you draw from for inspiration and for strength and for hope and faith. And they only want you to solely believe in the communistic um, or socialistic government. So uh, speech is taken away, religion is taken away. Your arms are taken away. You are not allowed to bear arms. You are not allowed to have, um, to be able to uh, protect yourself. So they take away um, your rights to bear arms. Um, so, well, the, those three things are the first things that come to mind. Um, so that is how socialism, oh, and the police, they take away, um, they take away the police and then they put in their own um, police, policing department. So, um, um, and those things, sadly enough, I'm seeing happening in this country. There are certain things that you can no longer say. Um, I think Congress right now is trying to, um, um, put something in place where if you mention China virus or Asian virus or Kung Fu virus, um, that that is a, a violation of, of speech. In this country, we have free speech. No, they cannot do that. Um, they're trying to defund the police. Um, <laughs> there are so many correlations right now, um, little subtle, but so many correlations right now that remind me of how communism started in Cuba. It makes me very sad because where are we going to go from here? There is no other greater country. No other country in this world is opening up their arms and saying, hey, United States, if you happen to be communistic in the uh, society in the future, we're going to open our arms to you and we're going to say, you know, come on in. Uh, you have the same opportunities you used to have in your country. You have them here. There is no such thing in this world. Yeah, and what do you think about the riots in downtown Portland? Well, I think it's a violation uh, of our freedoms. They're 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 rioting and they're taking things away from people. Um, they're creating havoc. They're creating chaos. They're um, in their havoc and their chaos. They're controlling um, because they're they're uh, it's a great amount of people in the Portland area, including myself, that do not want to go there. <laughs> because who wants to put themselves in that position, you know, of being in the center of all that? Uh, <clears throat> with that said, though, I don't like people controlling me. I don't like people telling me what to do, because I've lived through that in my life. And I will go downtown and I will put myself um, in, in a bit of peril because of the situation that's around, because I will not allow other people to take that right away from me. Um, but yes, it, 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 it is not a good situation. Um, through chaos and havoc, um, they, um, they actually control people. Yeah, and so in Cuba, if someone was accused of a crime, is there any justice system or due process? Uh, Yes and no. Um, it is um, there is a justice system and there is a supposedly due process, but it's under the communistic control. So you cannot hire your own lawyer to defend you. Um, they make up the rules. They make up the sentences. They um, have total control of what um, is going to happen to you. So um, they say it's justice, but it really is not.
you're not allowed to defend yourself. They, they are um, judge and jury all in one. Yeah. And circling back to at the very beginning, when you said there were um, people always watching like each neighborhood, if they did something. Each block. Each block. Yeah. Each block. Um, What things were they looking out for if someone did something wrong? What is the wrong that people do? Well, there's curfews. So you can't leave your house um, uh, at certain times. They are looking for activity if um, too many people come and visit you. It's like, why is that happening? Because everything's controlled, right? So are you, are you selling something? Are you, are you teaching something? Are you having, um, you know, uh, religion in your home? Um, why are people coming and going from your house? Um, they would investigate that. Um, if you leave really well-dressed or... Uh, you know, in a matter that they think might be suspicious or doing something that is not in view of, of a communistic way, they would report that. Um, if you come home with too many groceries <laughs> bags, they would find that suspicious because you have rations. So um, they literally watch what's going on and they and they encourage your neighbors to turn you in. Um, So you are afraid to say something or do something to um, anyone in your block. I mean, think about your, the block that you live in now, how many of those people in your block, you know, really, really well and can trust without a doubt. You can 100% trust them. I'm going to say in my block and I live in a very, very nice neighborhood uh, with very nice professional people, I'm going to say in my block, I trust no one that well. No one. I know I don't know anyone that well to be able to say that person across the street is not going to turn me in if I happen to, you know, be making lemonade and selling it because all the kids in the neighborhood haven't had lemonade forever. And I have a lemon tree in my backyard. And I can make an extra, you know, $2 a week if I sell lemonade to all the kids in the neighborhood. They would turn me in because you're not allowed to do that. Even though it's your lemon tree in your backyard or just sell the lemons themselves because you can't get a lemon in Cuba. Um, so that kind, of, that kind of activity would be reported. And what happens next? Uh, if you're reporting? Yeah. It's investigated and you could go to jail. You can go, you can be incarcerated for saying the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing. And what is the wrong thing? Anything that they find to be so. It is entirely up to them um, to think, to, to say, you know, you said such and such and we don't allow that kind of language. And so they take you away, particularly anything against the government. The rules are very strict. So you better follow them. Yeah. Is that similar to the hate hate speech laws? Yes, because anything that you say against the government is considered hate speech. It's not against the people. It's it's mostly against the government. Wow. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Uh, No, I don't. I don't think so. I just want um, I just want everyone to realize what a great opportunity we have in this country and that, you know, is it perfect? 
No. What's, what's perfect? <laughs> but is it close to being perfect? I would say yes, because the opportunities that you have in this country uh, far uh, outweigh any in any other country in this world. Um, so I, I want people to realize <clears throat> and be thankful for what they have and not for what they wish they had. And and even in this country, if you wish it, you could probably get it. Um, you know, there's no there's no reason why someone from small means can't become a millionaire or a billionaire in this country if they have the idea, if they have the uh, ability to pursue it uh, on their on, on because they have the ability to pursue it. Um, so the only thing that stops people in this country are people, their own people, not other people. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Young Republicans of Oregon podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel that you can subscribe to. Please consider donating by visiting our website, youngrepublicansoforegon.org. The donations will pay for political trainings for our volunteers, travel expenses so we can spread our message across the U.S., and better tech equipment. Thank you.